This is the Blood Doctor Show on a Saturday. And before we dive into anything, we just need to note, rest in peace to Hank Aaron, Hammer and Hank, one of the greatest baseball players of all time, 755 home runs, the man who hit 40 home runs at age 39, before steroids were even really a thing in baseball, the man who was in the MVP race every season of his career, who's an all-star more times than I could possibly count, who was driving in 130 runs in the 1960s, who dealt with more in his life than probably most of us ever will. Hank Aaron passes away, and it's sad. Anytime we lose one of these stars, we lost a bunch of people that we loved in 2020. We've lost a couple of good ones in 2021 now as well. It's sad. It's disappointing. But at the very least, we got to fire up copies of the show and see if we can play as Hank Aaron. I'm sure there's got to be a way to play as Hank Aaron historically. Or go to the creative player mode and build your own Hank Aaron. Because the man deserves it. I want to say one other thing here off the typical topics of the show or before diving into the show, if you will. And that is, obviously, I've been recording a little less lately. I discussed losing a cat, a beloved pet, beloved family member. Um, But also, I just want to say it's true that I've been depressed and I've been struggling with getting in here and recording. And the reason that I want to talk about this is because I think that a lot of people still feel a stigma about this or that it's negative to talk about it. But my personal thing is just that we all go through it, whether it's a diagnosis of clinical depression or some other diagnosis or you're just having rough times and you're really feeling the pain of this era or you're feeling the pain of your work or whatever the case may be. It's something that everyone goes through. And I think that there is this sort of, again, it's a stigma. It's like people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to admit that they've been going through that. No, that's not me. It's not a thing that could affect me. I'm not a person who could go through that. But I think that the strongest you can be is when you acknowledge that you have flaws. And I am a person with a bunch of flaws, more than I would like to count, more than I'd probably like to acknowledge, I guess. I don't really know, but it's just who I am. I'm I'm not a perfect person or anywhere near it. I try to be a good person. I don't know how well I succeed at that. But the point is that all of us go through these things. And when you feel like you can't talk to someone about it, I encourage you to reach out. You could reach out to me. Anyone could could reach out to me. Reach out to a friend. Reach out to a family member. The point is there are hotlines. It just... It is something that I'm willing to sit here and say that I understand how difficult it has been for me. So I acknowledge that there have to be millions of other people going through it right now. You're never alone with these things that you feel as much as you feel completely alone, as much as you might feel isolated and like no one can understand what's going on. The one good thing about the human experience is that it's universal. And sure, it's different for all of us, and we experience things in different ways, and we feel different ways about things, but the human experience, what we go through, 
is universal. We might feel differently about different things, but everyone has highs and lows. Different people have different degrees of these things. I'm sure there are exceptions to the rule, but the point is being a human is common to all of us. And so when you have these problems, when you have these when you have a breakdown, I've had breakdowns in my life. I've had total meltdowns in my life. I've had days where I felt like I just couldn't go on. And the point is that everyone goes through that. And the biggest key to human existence is not the problems that you have. You're not defined by the problems that you have. Really, truly, no one is. You're defined by how you deal with those problems. All of us have different issues, and a lot of us have much more complex issues. There are many people who struggle with life way more than I do, but some of them bounce back way better than me, even though they struggle more, because they're not going to let the things that that anchor them define them. And so the biggest thing is when you feel these problems, it's okay to experience that emotion. It's okay to be depressed, but just don't let it ruin your life. Don't let it take you down. Don't be afraid to talk about it because one of the best things you can do as a person is reach out and just be open about what you're experiencing. And it may need to be a therapist. It might need to be your best friend. It might need to be, again, a relative, whoever it may be. Just don't let depression or anxiety or any of these things completely swallow you because no matter who you are, you have something fantastic to give. And so I have to remind myself of this. It's hard for me to take my own advice, but just don't let depression be the end all be all of who you are. Let how you fight back and overcome things be the end all be all of who you are. That's my only life advice. I hope it's good. So the Blunt Doctor Show, let's dive in. One thing that was fun the other day, this was the other day. I was going to talk about this again. I've been a little, but bah, we're back now. So let's talk about it. I was live betting a game. And the fun thing about live betting, if you've never done it before, is that you're literally betting on the game as the action is occurring. Sometimes you might be betting like literally while a guy's shooting free throws or during a timeout, but it's not necessarily at halftime or, you know, a quarter break. You're literally in the throes of the game and you have only seconds to make a decision. And so that's why live betting is really fun. It, it's similar to live betting rules because ultimately you're able to watch what's going on in the game and you're able to make an informed choice. I mean, the thing about betting, especially betting during a pandemic, is you don't even necessarily know who's feeling well. You don't necessarily know who's going to be playing. You don't know what their conditioning has been lately. There are a lot of variables um, when you're betting in a game or you know before a game. And when you're playing daily fantasy, there are just so many variables right now. So one thing about in-game betting, you have the same variables, but you get to watch some of it play out. I can watch half of the first quarter. I can watch the first half or I can watch three quarters. Whatever you want to do, you can watch the game and bet at any point. And so it gives you the ability to make a more informed decision because, you know, if you just bet the over and nobody's scoring at all and you can see it's a lackadaisical game, well, you're screwed. But if you wait and you see the first few possessions and you decide, hey, I'm going to take the under now, 
you know, sometimes these things work. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it does. It's all about gambling. But I was live betting the Penn State Rutgers game. And Rutgers is missing literally everything. Like, I'm talking about missing bunny layups. They're throwing the ball inside for turnovers. They can't make a three. I'm seeing air balls. It's, it's a total joke. But they're playing a team that, you know, they're playing Penn State. And Penn State's worse. And so, you know, like like organizationally much worse at this point. And so it's just one of those things where you know Rutgers is going to go on a run, but the question is when. And so I just kept waiting and kept waiting till they fell far enough behind that it was into the double digits. And I said, okay, they're going to go on some kind of run. So I live bet Rutgers plus 10 and a half. And I'm basically then sitting there waiting for them to close it from, you know, 15 or 16 into the single digits. And I'm just like, hey, they'll be down seven, eight or nine at halftime. It'll be fine. But it's not happening. And it's just like 16, 14, 16, 14, 16, 14, 12, 14, 12, 14, 12, 10, 12, 10, 12. And it's just back and forth, just changing buckets. And finally, they turn the ball over and there's like 35 seconds left. So just over the shot clock and um, Penn State's up 12. So I'm basically screwed. And Penn State's holding for the last shot and dribbling around above the key. And it just, they just made a mistake. And the point guard tries to throw the ball to the center. One of the players from Rutgers grabs the ball, breaks away, and gets a layup with seconds remaining. Penn State gets a heave. But the point is, they closed the half at 10. And you just love stuff like that because, like, literally, it doesn't even, it's not like the end of the game. It's not, you know, they weren't, it didn't decide anything for them. It just made it a little bit easier. And, he stole that ball at the perfect moment. It's just one of those things that's fun, and no one else will care, right? There's, It's one of those things that will never go down in the books. It doesn't matter the rest of the game. They, but those of us, the very few who took that plus 10.5 win because he made the layup at the last second, and I don't even know the name of the player who made it. And I tell the story to, to illustrate the point of just the, the beauty of gambling itself and live gambling is that it takes any game and it elevates it from something that you're just watching to enjoyment to something where everything is on the line. And some people hate that. Some people hate actually having stakes on the game and actually having like something that matters to them. You know, a lot of people say to me, oh, I work too hard for my money as if I don't work hard for my money or whatever. But I work too hard for my money to gamble it away. Well, some of us work hard for our money and we're still willing to risk it. It's what it is. But the point is that when you have even just a few dollars, let's say that you have 10 or $20 on a game. It's not a lot of money, but it's a sandwich. It's, it's two sandwiches or whatever. And when you just put those things there and you risk them, and you're watching what goes on and how it affects what you risked, you care a little bit more. And obviously, the bigger the stakes, you more the more you care. But ultimately, that is what that's like why March Madness pools are fun. Like, this is the thing that drives me crazy is people are like, oh, I hate gambling, but they'll do a March Madness bracket. Like, what do you think that is? It's the same thing. You're putting stakes on the game. Maybe it's a little more indirect. Maybe you prefer bracketology or pool style or whatever maybe you would like daily fantasy it doesn't matter the point is when you have stakes on the game it matters more and you can really only care for what one or two teams like 
you can only care for your team and maybe another team, like to the point that it feels like you're invested in them. Like you're invested in your team making the playoffs. So you don't need to have money on your team. You don't need to bet. I don't need to bet on my team. Even me, a person who loves gambling, I don't need to bet on my team because I'm invested in my team winning because I want them to ultimately make the playoffs and win a championship. So every single game means something to me and every single down to the wire possession means something to me. And so everything that goes on in a game is high stakes to me. Because I ultimately care about what goes on with the team. But if I'm just like tuning in to a random game of college basketball, like maybe I cared a lot when I was 12, when I could just pick a team and care. But like right now I need a reason. Well, what if I have money on it? And that's ultimately what gambling is. And that's what I think that's what people don't understand about gambling as a hobby is that a lot of us want to watch sports all day and it's fun. But when you have something invested in those sports, you're not playing in them, but you still have something invested, it makes it more electric. And that's why fantasy football and daily fantasy are so fun, because you're making decisions that ultimately can improve your life if you, you know, win enough money doing it. And it's fun. And, you know, maybe you lose, maybe you win. Some of us win. I win. Some people lose. It is what it is. But gambling in and of itself is, you know, we have, we've all bet on, oh, you want to bet? I, I bet you I can do this. We've all just made in our lives little wagers with other people around us. And so this is a way to continue that and make it real. You know, you, you, you live your life for a wager or you do your job on a wager, you're trying to beat someone else, and that's what's at stake. Why not wager on sports? That's how I view it. <sighs> so, considering that I am so invested in my team, and that I am so invested in the success of my team, and that I am so... <sighs> It's getting to the point with the Suns that I just don't know what to say anymore. Like, I love this team and I love Monty Williams. I love this organization, okay? I'm not trying to, not advocating for changes. I'm not, you know, calling for heads. But the Nuggets game last night is the worst game I've seen Monty Williams coach. The lineups didn't make sense. The rotations were bizarre. And, you know, everyone sitting here wants to talk about, well, the Suns lost because Devin Booker got a bullshit foul call on Gary Harris, blah, blah, blah. There, there was a call, essentially, that was initially called a foul that sent Booker to the line for a three-point play that was overruled and called an offensive foul at Booker. The Suns still had a two-point lead. They still built a four-point lead after that. They still had opportunities to win the game. The game still went to overtime. That's not why they lost. And I'm tired of hearing people say that that's why they lost. Because it's not why they lost. Why they lost is no ability to execute down the stretch. And I am tired of talking about that. It has been, it has been a decade since this team has been able to execute down the stretch. The last team... The last Phoenix Suns team that could execute down the stretch was the 2010 Western Conference team. Now, of course, they lost to the Lakers, 
so they couldn't execute to the finals and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it was still a very good team that made a really good run. That made a good run against that Lakers team. They gave them a good series. The Lakers were the better team. And I think, I believe the Lakers won the title, obviously. But the point is that, you know, the, the Suns still were a good team that battled hard and had focus and won close games and competed at some of the highest levels and gave the champions a run for their money. And this team, like, I just, I can't, you can't close against Memphis. Like, the Memphis game, I was frustrated because of the way it ended. But it's like, okay, well, it just we had a week off from COVID, you know, the layoff. And, you know, I understand. It's a little more understandable. But then last night against the Nuggets, there's no, there's nothing understandable about that at all. It makes, it makes no sense. You're winning the game. You're winning the game. You're dominating the game at certain points. You're up 14 at certain points. And then the offense falls apart. I'm watching the game with my man Keith, and he's sitting here pointing out no one's moving on offense. We watch the Nuggets. He's like, you know, Porter's moving and Murray's moving and and Barton's moving. And then you watch the Suns and everyone's standing around watching Chris Paul dribble. And I don't know if everyone is tired or what, but it just, this, these games matter. And when, I don't understand how you can play phenomenally throughout three quarters of the game or do a great job managing every run and then tell me in the fourth quarter, oh, we just didn't have enough players, we didn't have enough this, we didn't have enough that. They clearly should have won this game. And it was embarrassing. And I'm just frustrated. I love Monty Williams. I think he's a great coach. I'm always going to be on board with him. I don't want him to go anywhere. But I want him to look at his rotations, and I want him to look at the way that he deals with the other team having runs. I want him to look at the way he deals with fouls and rotations. We're at the point where these minor little tweaks matter. You're at the point where... The coaching details matter. It's no longer just, well, it's talent on talent and our talent's going to win out. We're at the point where we're battling with teams like the Jazz and the Nuggets and the Mavericks, not at this time, but as the playoffs come up and the Clippers, like we're battling with these teams for playoff positioning. We are fighting them and we're losing those battles right now. We're losing those battles because we're not making the slight tweaks, the slight adjustments, the slight little things that need to be done in order to get to the next level. And again, I love Monty Williams. I think he's a really good coach and I think he's the right coach to guide this team. But now he's got check time. And I know that it's early in the season. It's 14 games or whatever. I don't care about that. Okay. I don't care about that because this is a shortened season. You're in the death conference and you're trying to tell me that these early season games against opponents don't matter. They do. They absolutely matter. And we need to see the success that we know that this team can have. And we need to find the tweaks that are necessary to take this team to the next level. And I know that they can do it. I know they can. And so it's frustrating when it doesn't happen. I'm recording right now later tonight. The Suns are going to play without Devin Booker, who's out. He hurt his hamstring, so, you know, there are people, again, who are going to say, well, Booker was hurt at the end of the game, so they lost. They should have won in regulation. They should have won before any of this. Booker still scored 31. Like The game should have been over. And it was just bad lineups, bad defensive choices. It was frustrating. On the plus side, three games in a row now, DeAndre Ayton is a monster. 
And I'm talking about a monster monster who does everything. Offensive rebound, throw down lobs, he's blocking shots, he's grabbing all kinds of boards, he's boxing out, he's making nice defensive rotations. He still misses a play here and there, he's not perfect, he still has flaws in his game, but... DeAndre has taken another leap this season, regardless of whether or not anyone wants to acknowledge it. But especially on the defensive side of the ball, he's much better. Some areas that are frustrating the hell out of me is his hands haven't been good. He's dropping every ball that's bounced past to him. You got to get him the ball high or he doesn't seem to be able to come down with it. Um but these last three games, I mean, he is scoring. He's grabbing every rebound. He's blocking shots. He's throwing nice passes. There was one sequence where he got the ball in the post and whipped it out to the wing for a triple. And it just showed, like, it, I mean, it's not Nikola Jokic-level passing, but it just showed, like, his knowledge and understanding of the game has evolved in a way that a lot of people just don't understand. And... Number one, DeAndre Ayton is a much better passer than anyone gives him credit for. That is just true. He's also a better defender than anyone gives him credit for. I have to back off the Defensive Player of the Year comments that I made earlier in the season when I was having fun and enjoying the Sun's success. But DeAndre is still a really good player. And I just want to point out that for all of the, you know, whoa, you didn't take Luka Doncic, ha, ha, ha. The Suns always beat Luka Doncic. And if Luka Doncic ends up being a better player than DeAndre Ayton, but DeAndre Ayton always beats Luka Doncic, and that includes playoff series, then I could give a fuck. I really could give a fuck. It doesn't matter. The, what, what matters is rings. And I'm not saying that DeAndre Ayton is going to end up with more rings than Luka Doncic or whatever, but I'm saying that if this comes down to a playoff series where we see Suns versus Mavs, and I think it's likely that we're going to see plenty of Suns versus Mavs playoff series over the next few years. I mean, the Suns know how to play Luka Doncic. They just do. They have great success against him, and you're not going to sit here and tell me, uh, well, it's just luck of shooting. They're like 6-1. Aiton is like 6-1 and one against him. Like, just, just stop. Like, the Suns have a good game plan for Luka Doncic, and if there's ever a Suns-Mavs playoff series, the Mavs are going to be favored, and I'm going to bet a bunch of money on the Suns, and the Suns are going to pull off the upset because they are well-positioned to take down the Mavericks. And if Aiton's primary thing throughout his whole career is that he fucks up Luka Doncic, then put DeAndre Aiton in the Hall of fucking Fame, man, because that's fine with me. So, whether or not I'm on one is not the point. The point is that to be a Suns fan right now, you have to deal with frustration, but you have to know that it is coming. Chris Paul hit several clutch shots in this game. He has, wasn't able to hit the shot to seal it, but he hit three shots in a row at one point, and then the defense couldn't hold up. So if Chris just hits those three shots and the defense does their job, then the Suns win. So the pieces are there. If Devin doesn't get hurt, maybe they win. Maybe the bad call, blah, blah, blah. It's not the reason, but if you... You look at all these factors and you just say, okay, this is a good team with a good coach and a good roster and they just need a little more chemistry. A little more chemistry in this team will get to that next level. They're not in the top tier. I'm not sure they're quite in the second tier, but we're in the third tier. 
and we're looking at that second tier, and we know that we're talented enough to be in that second tier, and we know that with a couple of leaps, we're talented enough to be in the first tier. Maybe other teams don't agree, but I think so. And by the way, I need to renew this statement. Mikhail Bridges for most improved player. Mikhail Bridges for most improved player. Mikhail Bridges for most improved player. I I don't know if anyone is watching because of the struggles. They only pay attention to, you know, how the Suns fuck up here or there. But this dude is bagging triples from all over the place. He is a defensive nightmare. He can defend so many positions. He's got the longest arms in the history of arms. The Suns better never let Mikhail Bridges go. I was so wrong. When we initially drafted him, I didn't think it was a good pick. I was wrong. 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 I love Mikhail Bridges. He is phenomenal. He is so good. And he is, we must keep him. Whatever, we just, we must keep him. The team is built right now. The team is honestly built. I mean, campaign has been better than Chris Paul this season. So we know who's going to take over for Chris Paul when when he leaves or retires eventually. It's campaign. Seriously, the team is built, man. We just need to build chemistry and just continue to evolve. And again, the one thing that we could need is that backup big man. I'm looking at you, JaVale McGee. I'm looking at you, Nerlens Noel. There's got to be a big, big, big ass dude with long fucking arms that this team can acquire. Maybe the Raptors will buy out Aaron Baines. (laughs) That'll never happen. He has another year left on his deal. But the point is, the Suns are so close. And I just want to see them get from so close to there. I've been watching so close for years. I don't want to watch so close anymore. I want to watch there. That's what I want to see. And uh, speaking of teams that can't close the game out, this is another one from a couple days ago, but still something I wanted to talk about is the Bucks-Lakers game. And I am someone who has been so high on the Bucks. I was high on them two years ago. Go look up the tweets. I was high on them last year. I kept pecking them to win the title, and, you know, here it is. And... I've been a pro Giannis guy. Go check the tweets. I've been a pro Giannis for MVP and Defensive Player of the Year and everything guy. But I mean, I just I don't know how to we've reached a point where the naysayers and the detractors and the haters have a point. They are making sense at this point. The things that they say are reasonable because I don't know how you disagree with some of these things at this point. Like, I don't know how you argue. And I know that it's a regular season game, but we're looking at a game where the Bucks want to prove they want to prove that they can beat the Lakers. And the thing about LeBron is that no matter how much he you know, coast through regular seasons. He's not doing it so much this year. He's actually, the Lakers are kicking ass. Um, And LeBron as well. He wants an MVP, it looks like. Um, And he loves to beat up on Giannis. He wants to beat up on Giannis in the regular season. I think he wants to beat up on Giannis in the regular season because he doesn't think you'll get to meet him in the finals, which is their subtext there. But the point is, LeBron loves to kick Giannis's ass. And so these games matter as proof for the Bucks that 
you know, they can hold up in these big time playoff situations. And I know that it's not the playoffs. I know it's early season, but yet again, the Bucks just don't have it in the closing minutes of these games. They just don't have the it. The way they run their offense doesn't work. And I was listening to the mismatch with Kevin O'Connor and Chris Vernon, which is uh, a podcast that I love. Check it out. It's on the Ringer Podcast Network. But in any case, they were basically arguing whether Chris Middleton can be the second guy, and Chris Vernon was saying no. And Kevin O'Connor's argument was that, that Chris Middleton can be the second guy if Mike Budenholzer would put him in more advantageous situations. And I am really starting to wonder about Mike Budenholzer as a coach because we have let go a lot of things and we have explained away a lot of things or we have, you know, well, it actually was like some people say, well, the the Bucks never adjust. The Bucks don't adjust enough. So that's why they lose. And then other people go, well, no, no, I went back and watched the tape and the Bucks tried to adjust too much and they changed the way they put the simple fact of the matter is is that what the Bucks are doing doesn't work. And the person who is at the structure of that at the or behind the structure of that is Mike Budenholzer. It's just what it is. And you know, if Giannis isn't a shooter. If Giannis can't develop a reliable long two or three-point shot, then you have to find other ways to do things. And Mike Budenholzer hasn't. The Bucks still largely look the same. Like, they're either going to bomb you away from three or they're not. And maybe there's some statistical scenario in which they win 16 straight games because they hit 33s in all 16 games because of some statistical anomaly. But, like, that's sort of what the Bucks are basing themselves on. And it doesn't work, and it hasn't worked. And you need to be able to make whole-scale mass changes that completely shock the system of the other team. And the Bucks don't do that, regardless of whatever twists or changes or hiccups or adjustments they might have thrown in. It is largely still the same thing, especially down the stretch. And... You know, the one game that they did win in the playoffs last year was when Chris Middleton had to make every single shot So against the Heat. So I just, I don't know about the Bucks, And I understand what Chris Vernon is saying when he says the Bucks need a second guy who can just get a bucket at any time. But I also understand what Kevin O'Connor is saying when he says that he thinks that Chris Middleton can be that guy. And I think that the answer to those questions is that Mike Budenholzer is not the coach for this team. I am someone who has been a proponent of Mike Budenholzer. I am someone who has been a fan of his. And I just, you look at what's going on. You look at how these things continue to go. And it just, I just don't, obviously he's not going anywhere right now. But if the Bucks flame out again, like in the second round, can you really keep him? Like if you're Bucks ownership and you're a billionaire hedge fund owner and you've just got Giannis to sign this extension and you're about to take on this Drew Holiday extension probably, can you really continue to just trot out the same coach who won't do the necessary things? Like I'm I'm doing anything I can to bring in an innovator. Because Mike Budenholzer is a good coach, don't get me wrong, but he doesn't he'll make he makes he'll tweak this and tweak that, but he still believes in what he believes. And he won't change what he believes 
even at the detriment of his team. And like, it's one of those things where people who would look at me and say, well, that's what Bill Belichick says. He has six rings. If Budenholzer had won even one of these titles with the Hawks or the Bucks, then everything that he says would be given so much more weight and we would all be like, yeah, yeah no, you got to listen to Budenholzer. But that's not the scenario. That's not where we are. We're in a scenario in which this guy continues to come up short, but wants us all to back up all of his decisions. And that is simply not something that we're capable of doing. So they're going to give him this year, obviously, they've already said, and obviously we're already in season. I mean, there's no question that, you know, the Bucks could stumble and he's, he's not going to be fired. But if they get bounced early in the playoffs or somehow didn't make the, they're obviously going to make the playoffs. But if they if they get bounced again, I think you have to look for a coach who says, I'm going to fuck with things here. I'm going to do new stuff. I'm going to play Giannis off the ball all the time. I'm going to make Chris Middleton the, you know, the focal point, or I'm going to, you know, run a whole lot of Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday pick and roll and have Giannis crash or just whatever the fuck you want to do. The point is things have to change from Giannis and shooting. And then there's a wall and Giannis pulls up and it just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Everyone knows it doesn't work. I'm not saying anything new, but I think the thing is, is that we're all sitting here going, well, Budenholzer is, but it doesn't matter if you build a regular season system. Even the Suns moved on from Mike D'Antoni. Even the Rockets moved on from Mike D'Antoni. All of the regular season success in the world simply doesn't matter when you're chasing one thing that has nothing to do with the regular season. And so just we'll see. We'll see. But I don't know about the Bucks anymore. I am someone who has been a huge Bucks guy, and I am off the Bucks at this point. So take that for what you will. I do think that despite Giannis signing this extension, that this season will be make or break in a lot of ways for the Bucks in terms of what they do going forward. Not as a roster, but more organizationally with like coaching. I do think that's on the horizon. So we'll see. The season itself has been, I mean, there have been postponements and delays. And my man, Gerald Bourget, shout out. He's a Suns writer through various Suns networks. He's also a Suns podcaster. He's one of the most knowledgeable people about the Suns, not only currently, but historically. If you want to know about the Suns, Gerald Bourget is a guy that you look at. He's a very smart guy, knows a lot about the NBA. Love him, love following him on Twitter. And he made a really good point that I thought was really interesting, something I just wanted to shout out and talk about for a minute. And he basically said that with you know the rumors of the Tokyo Olympics potentially being canceled after having been postponed, you know, should the NBA season go through a postponement, not a cancellation. We know that the NBA season is not going to be canceled because if they didn't cancel it last year with Trump not even trying to control the pandemic, they're certainly not going to cancel it this year with Biden at least 
doing a somewhat good job of of controlling the pandemic, right? So we know that the season won't be canceled. But essentially, he raised the question, should we postpone the season? Should we look at this and say, hey, not right now, not right at this moment. We already built in a week postponement. Let's extend that. Should we take time and 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 slow things down and honestly i think the answer might be yes and i think that that all-star break postponement where we have a week or two weeks or whatever it is that they have you know sort of set up to replay games i think that needs to be set up and potentially extended as a means of postponing the season because what is the point of playing when we have so many games that are messed up by so many players being out and I mean, the Wizards took out like half the league, including the Suns, for a week. The Suns have not been the same since then. Not necessarily from all of them getting COVID, but just still from the contact tracing. The team hasn't looked like themselves in these last couple games. They keep fading down the stretch. Oh, just kidding. They do look like themselves. Anyway, the point is, things aren't going well for the Suns. Things aren't going well for the Wizards. Things aren't going well for the 76ers at times. Other teams are struggling. The point is that... Why not take a break? Like, do we have to finish right this moment? I know that everyone's concerned about the revenue and everyone is concerned about the getting the schedule right on track for the future and getting the, you know, but like, here's the thing. In terms of being concerned about the future, Biden has won. So the whole Nightmare America scenario in which everything is destroyed and the world gets burned down, it's not going to happen. No one's going to ignore the pandemic. No one's going to ignore the protocols. No one's going to ignore the science. All that stuff is over. So the need to sort of play super fearful, it's gone. So I think the smartest thing to do is delay a few weeks. Now, I haven't heard anything about that. I don't think that they're going to do it. But the mere fact that it's sort of in the conscious, I just, I hope that they do, they do it. Because it just, why are we getting everyone hurt? Why, why are we getting everyone, I mean, this disease is so bad. Some of the effects that we see for people who had it nine months ago and what comes out after, it's it's horrifying. We don't want to keep this on people. We don't want to spread this long term. And we still don't know what the effects are two years, five years, ten years. Postpone the season. Let's just, let's, let's stop COVID. Let's do everything we can to stop COVID. If it was up to me, I would just, I, I just, I wish this country would. Distribute money to everyone. Have everyone stay home, save for whatever essentials are necessary. Distribute whatever essentials might be necessary. If they could be helpful in that way. What, whatever the case may be. Just let's beat the pandemic. Because it can be done. And then after we at least slow the pandemic. We come out of that. We follow the protocols. We keep it away forever. It's not going to take years to significantly slow down this disease. We could truly lock down this country for, what, a month and do a significant amount of damage to COVID. 
And there are some people who would be, well, what about the economy? Man, fuck the economy. Number one, the economy is just a chart of rich people's feelings. Or maybe that's the stock market. Oh, right. Those two things go hand in hand because of the way our government operates. So it's all bullshit. Don't worry about that. They've invented money to bail out companies. They can invent money to bail out the people. How does this all relate to the NBA, you ask? You're spitting socialist propaganda as a means of explaining, delaying the NBA season? Well, yes, sir, I am. This is the Blunt Doctor Show. Who the fuck did you think you were listening to? The U.S. government needs to step up, give us all money, shut everything down that's not necessary. The NBA needs to step up and make a choice. Postpone or bubble? Postpone or bubble? Maybe the players don't like the bubble. Maybe they don't want to go back to a bubble and that's fine. Let's postpone. But let's work to shut this disease down before we continue to spread it. All of this travel is not going well. It's not helping. It's not doing anyone good. Postpone the season. Just add a couple of weeks to the all-star break thing. We'll survive. We'll be fine. Just Surviving COVID is so much more important than everything else. And I just wish the people understood that. Switching now to football. I want to go on a rant before I talk about the championship games tomorrow. Because I'm getting a little tired of the bullshit racism in the NFL. And I know that other NFL fans are with me. And I just don't understand how this ridiculous good old boys club douchebag asshole group can't fucking pull their heads out of their own fucking taint area and recognize that there are people who are good for these jobs, who are the best for these jobs, who would dominate these jobs that you won't even interview because of the color of their skin. Are you fucking kidding me? Please explain to me how Eric Bieniemy doesn't have a job. This guy has been in charge of the Chiefs offense, Chiefs offense for years while they have been the best offense in the league. And you can sit here and tell me Andy Reid, blah, blah, blah. Yes, of course, Andy Reid. But Andy Reid also has a whole team to manage. There's a lot of other jobs to do as head coach. Eric Bieniemy has been right there with Andy Reid coordinating the best offense in the league. And guess what, folks? You can go back and look at years where Andy Reid didn't have a good offensive coordinator and his team sucked. That's how football works. It's a group effort. And the guy who takes everything to the next level for the Chiefs is Eric Bieniemy. And somehow this dude doesn't have a job. It's bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. Deshaun Watson wants him. And somehow he still doesn't have the job. It's just, it's just, it's it's complete garbage. The Eagles' whole job was about fixing Carson Wentz. Well, guess what Eric Bieniemy has been a part of? Eric Bieniemy has been a part of turning Patrick fucking Mahomes into the best quarterback in the NFL. You don't think that he could turn Carson Wentz into, like, decent? You don't think that he might be able to design some schemes to make it a little bit easier on Carson Wentz? He helped Patrick Mahomes become one of the best quarterbacks that we've seen in, like, decades. Is that not helpful? Look, Patrick Mahomes has all the arm strength in the world, but so did Jamarcus Russell. So did Kyle Bowler. 
Arm strength doesn't mean a fucking thing if you don't know how to use it. And Pat Mahomes has been drafted into the perfect system with the perfect team that has helped him become a next-level player. And Eric Bieniemy has been a huge part of that. And somehow, he loses out on the Eagles job to a guy... I mean, this guy, Nick Sriani, they hired him. He's been the Colts' offensive coordinator. And they didn't even seem interested in Eric Bieniemy. by the way. The Eagles, they were only interested in a white coach, apparently. But, like, not that the Colts are bad... But does anyone remember the Colts being recognized as like an innovative offense? Have they broken records and shattered the world lately? No, they haven't. But do you know who Nick Sriani has like a really distant coaching relationship to? It's the Chiefs and the Chargers. It's ridiculous. Not the guy who's been around there, but... A theoretical relationship to the history of blah, blah, whatever. People do that shit all the time. Cliff Kingsbury got hired because he had a relationship with someone who knew. It's just how it goes in the NFL. If you're white and you're connected to someone who knows theoretically whatever, you get a job. And I'm not saying that Nick Sriani doesn't necessarily deserve a job for his work as an offensive coordinator. But here's something I can fucking tell you is that I haven't heard this dude's names in coaching circles for years now. Like I have Eric Bieniemy. I haven't heard people repeatedly talk about how Nick Sriani has changed the league like I have Eric Bieniemy. I haven't talked, I haven't heard people talk about how the Colts offensive coordinator was going to be the hottest coaching candidate like I have heard that about Eric Bieniemy, and yet how somehow every year the guy who should be the head coaching candidate who is first hired is somehow not hired. And this is just what goes on in the NFL is it is racist bullshit. Somehow Deshaun Watson, the guy who beat Alabama's defense, so the guy who beat the best defense in the world that every single NFL team is recruiting from, they didn't want that guy. They didn't want Deshaun Watson. They wanted Mitch Trubisky instead. The the NFL is ridiculous. It is racist, and it is bullshit, and this is what we see over and over and over and over, and no matter how much anyone says, well, this league is different now, and this, that, and the other, it doesn't change. And... As far as, like, the coaching hires go, the only one I like is the fucking Jets. The Jets hired Robert Sala. Like, fuck you. The Jets are the ones who make the hire that I like. I fucking hate the Jets. I'm literally wearing a t-shirt right now that my girlfriend made for me. Shout out Mrs. The Blood Doctor that says the Jets fans can suck it. I'm literally wearing that right now. And somehow you want to tell me that that team made the best hire when there are multiple other organizations around the league that were available. The team that I fucking make fun of all the time made the best hire. I'm literally pissed because the Jets might somehow come to respectability again because they actually made a good hire. The Jaguars hire Urban Meyer. Okay, yeah, all right. You didn't realize that the Jags were trying to play college football, but they are, and it's going to fail for them. The Lions hired Dan Campbell, who just like, okay, like what? 
Dan Campbell is known for the one time that he coached Miami for a few games and he stood up there and he leaned on the podium and was like, we're going to murder your family. And then after we murder your family, we're going to murder your family. And then he got hired by the Lions. And what did he do? He gave a speech where he was like, we're going to murder your family. And then after we murder your family, we're going to eat your family's kneecaps. And that's that's who the Lions thought was the coach to take them to the next level. Like, it's just... It's just ridiculous. Like, if you're a white person with some sort of connection to something or some sort of whatever, you will get a job in the NFL. And if you're a person of color who actually knows what they're doing, you won't. Except, apparently, in the case of the Jets in 2021, who've hired Robert Sala. Again, phenomenal hire. I'm so thrilled for him that he gets to be a head coach, and I hate that the Jets made a good decision just because I hate the Jets, but this is a great coaching hire. But how is Eric Bieniemy not a head coach? And the only way that I will accept any of this is if I get an ESPN notification on my phone that Eric Bieniemy has been hired by the Texans, which is not something that's going to occur. So, let's be very fucking clear about this league. This league is racist. This league is bullshit. This league is built on billion-year-old ideals, and we need to tear it down. And the same thing I've said about the NBA and ownership can be said about the NFL and ownership. You simply don't need these billionaires. All of these players should retire. Every single one of them should retire. All of them should tank the league. They should form their own league. Yeah, you might have to play in college stadiums for a couple years. Yeah, you might have to play on alternate television networks for a couple years, but you will change the future of professional sports forever because we don't need people who don't even have the ability to play or analyze involved in the game. I'm not saying that people who can't play shouldn't be involved in the game because let's be honest, very few people can play the game and many people have physical injuries or uh, a genetic issue or they're just not physically, whatever. It's not fair that people who were born a certain way shouldn't be allowed to analyze football, but it is definitely fair that people who have billions of dollars shouldn't be allowed to control how the league works simply because they have billions of dollars. Your average NFL quote-unquote owner couldn't fucking tell you the starting lineup of his own team. He couldn't tell you his coach or coordinators. Most of them suck ass and have no idea what are going on. And guess what? I bet you if you ever asked them, all of them would be really prepared and they'd be like, our coach is this and our coordinators are this. They don't fucking know football and that's the point. They don't fucking know anything about football. They don't care about football and that's what it ultimately comes down to is that this shit is a fucking fashion accessory for them and they shouldn't be a part of the game. No one should be a part of the game who doesn't understand the game. From managing partner to coach to general manager to trainer, whatever. Nobody should be a part of the game who doesn't understand the game. Understanding the game doesn't mean the play that you played the game. It just means you understand the game and it has been reasonably determined by those around you that you actually know what's going on. And guess what? In most cases, owners, quote unquote, who are actually general managing partners, the managing partners don't actually know shit about what's going on. And we need to remove them from the game because they continue to perpetuate the racism that goes on. They perpetuate the good old boys club. They perpetuate all this bullshit that allows a good coach like Eric Bieniemy to not be hired, but allows random ass dudes that we don't even know about to somehow get jobs they don't necessarily even deserve. And that's not a world that I want to live in. And I want this shit to go away. And I want this league to change. 
And I've said this before about basketball, and I think it's true about all sports. I think that sports would be better if franchise players were tied to franchise management. Why shouldn't your best player have a say in how your best team is run? You're going to tell me that your best player wants to leave a team when he gets to make decisions? Hell no. Why shouldn't LeBron James be recognized for what he does in terms of running a franchise? Why shouldn't James Harden be recognized for the trades that he's made? If you are the franchise player and you want to make decisions for your team, how do people who don't even know what's going on outrank you? It makes no sense. And if being a player for a team, especially being a franchise player, came with some sort of ownership or management stake that allowed you to control or manage your team, that's a world I want to be in. LeBron James should have received like 10% of the Lakers for signing there. Like seriously, like the Lakers were floundering. I don't give a shit what anyone was saying about their historical whatever. Like no one wanted to sign there. They couldn't even get free agent meetings. And LeBron James changed that forever. And the simple fact of the matter is that in sports, the imbalance is that rich white men get to tell everyone else what to do. Not because they have any knowledge or any skill or any reason to be there, but simply because they paid the bills that the league asked for. Well, guess what? Lawyers can be hired. Contracts can be negotiated without these people. And as far as investments go, let's talk about what happens to the league right now. So in terms of the pandemic, the league is not making any money. So what are they doing? They are considering expanding the league and adding two more teams, the NBA, which is awesome. They want to add two more teams because the franchise fee won't be given to the players. (laughs) So the franchise fee will essentially be billionaires giving money to billionaires to underwrite their losses. That's how the NBA is operating right now in a pandemic. They are soliciting billionaires to bail out their other billionaires. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm tired of hearing about the players this and the players that and player empowerment this and player empowerment that. The best coordinator in the NFL can't get a head coaching job. The best players in the league can't get their teams to spend money in the way that they want them to. We have an imbalance. And all of these things come from racism. If you look at financial inequality, whether it comes from the NBA, the NFL, or real life, it is all about racism. And if you can't acknowledge those things and you're incapable of recognizing those things, then I think you need to take a look at yourself and how you might otherwise benefit from the system. Because sounds like you are. So I am imploring the Texans or any team that wants to look smart, please hire the best offensive coordinator in football. Give him the runway to improve. Let him show you what he can do. How are we in 2021 and we still don't understand that there are racial inequalities in this world that need to be corrected? I don't know. But 
I will, I will, I'll say what I can. I don't know. I am not saying that I want Eric B. Enemy to take the Eagles job. It's a terrible fucking job. Carson Wentz is a horrible quarterback. I have no faith that he can be rebuilt, but there should be some sort of, if Carson Wentz is broken, you should be begging Eric Bieniemy to fix him. But instead, the NFL is broken, and it will just continue to be. And in terms of broken NFL, let's look at the conference championship games. Now, <clears throat> we all know how I feel about Tampa Bay versus Green Bay in terms of who's going to win. Tampa Bay is obviously going to win, and I'm going to tell you why. Number one, Tampa Bay's defense is the most underrated defense in football. When Tom Brady chose Tampa Bay, I told everyone that it was not only because of all the weapons that he would be afforded, and obviously there were plenty, but it was also because that defense was so good. They were one of the top defenses in the league last year, and that was with Jameis Winston turning the ball over fucking constantly. So imagine what would occur when you removed the majority of those turnovers and kept that defense intact, which is exactly what they did. And then they got better. Devin White is at a new level right now. Antoine Winfield is at a new level right now. Levante David is playing as good as he has ever played. This defense is phenomenal. Shaquille Barrett has calmed down the penalties. Vita Vea may return. The Bucks' defense has changed the game, and they definitely did it against the Saints because they turned the ball over constantly, and they're probably not going to generate that many turnovers again. I think it was four against the Saints, but the point is, against Green Bay, if Tampa Bay doubles Devontae Adams, has solid coverage over the middle from their linebackers, and good run defense with the return of Vita Vea, the Packers' offense will struggle. Now, sure, the Bucks' offense may struggle. They're on the road. Antonio Brown is out for the game. We don't know what we're going to get from Rojo. I understand that there are scenarios that make the Bucks struggle, too. I get that. But when you look at what's going on for the Packers, the the Bucks have not doubled all season with these elite receivers. All they've got to do is pull it out this weekend. You haven't done it all year. You've made it to the conference championship. Now you get to fuck up the offense by pulling a double coverage on Devontae Adams. Go the Bill Belichick route. Take away the best thing that the Packers do. Yes, Vita Vey is returning. Yes, the run defense will be stout. But take away Devontae Adams. Take away the best thing that the Packers do. Don't let him catch touchdowns. Don't let him go deep. Take away Devontae Adams. Two men on Devontae Adams at all times. If the Buccaneers do that, they're going to win. Because Tom Brady is going to do work against Green Bay. Green Bay's defense is fine. They're acceptable. They're not phenomenal. They never are. We know that Tampa Bay will score. If Tampa Bay's defense does work against Green Bay, this game will be over just like it was when they played earlier this season. So, in terms of prediction, Tampa Bay 30, Green Bay 20. Now, in terms of Buffalo and Kansas City, I've been calling for Buffalo forever. 
And I'm sticking with that. The spread in the Tampa Bay-Green Bay game is 3.5. Tampa Bay plus 3.5. Take Tampa Bay all day. Take the money line. Same thing with Buffalo. They're plus 3. Take the money line. Kansas City, look. Pat Mahomes, regardless of the concussion protocol scenario, let's just look at it. He already had hurt his foot. Then they ran him on an option and he got into the concussion protocol. I I don't root for injuries. I hate injuries. Injuries suck. But I think it's fair to say that Pat Mahomes is probably not going to be 100% this week. I hate injuries. I don't want them. I'm not rooting for them. But I think it's fair to say that Pat Mahomes is not going to be 100%. So you take a team with a quarterback who's not 100% and a team with an almost equitable offense with a 100% quarterback. And then you look at the fact that Buffalo, with that almost equitable offense, is a much better defense. Buffalo's defense is much, much better than Kansas City's defense. It's not even a comparison. And as we all know, defense wins championships, and especially in the NFL playoffs. One thing goes wrong for your offense, and it fucks everything up. And sure, that's true for Buffalo, too, but... Let's also consider that for as good as Tyreek Hill is, Stefan Diggs is better. Stefan Diggs is a better receiver. Tyreek Hill is faster. If no one's able to cover him, he can burn anyone, sure. But Stefan Diggs is simply a better receiver. He's got better hands. He's a better route runner. Stefan Diggs is a better receiver. Pat Mahomes is obviously better than Josh Allen. But is 75% of Pat Mahomes better than Josh Allen when Josh Allen can run in a way that Pat Mahomes can't? Because for as much as the concussion protocol stuff matters, let's not remember that Pat Mahomes was hurt before he even ran that ball. And again, I'm not rooting for Pat Mahomes to be hurt. I'm just being realistic about the scenario that the Chiefs didn't protect their franchise asset. They let him run an option when he had already hurt his foot. And instead of hurting his foot worse, he hurt his fucking head, which is worse. It was a terrible decision by Andy Reid. And for all of the phenomenal decisions we've given him credit for for all these years including Chad Henney throwing the ball on 4th and 1. We need to make sure that we recognize that Chad Henney was only out there to throw the ball because he ran a fucking option with his injured quarterback. Now, I've been picking the Bills to beat the Chiefs basically all season, and I'm not wavering. I'm taking both upsets this weekend. Bills beat the Chiefs. Bucks beat the Packers. If there's only one upset, obviously it's going to be Bucks beat the Packers. But I'm just going to tell you one thing. I have been saying forever that Tom Brady, as quarterback of the Buccaneers, was going to beat the Bills in the Super Bowl. And when that occurs, I expect you to invite me on your podcast to explain how I figured that out five weeks ago. (laughs) And that is the Blunt Doctor Show. On a weekend, on a frustrating weekend, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a complicated world... Peace to you and yours.